we kind of positioned a member of the press in the prank. So they were being tricked as well, which then obviously helped us get press. So we had a woman from the mirror and obviously the mirror released it as an exclusive. We pranked her too, yeah. I'm Lottie, the founder of The Coffee Club, a community of entrepreneurial marketeers who are doing some of the best marketing on shoestring budgets. And welcome back to episode three of series two of The Marketing Hustle. This week, I chatted to Sophia Halberstam, Senior Marketing Manager at This, who are the company in the FMCG world right now. This are so loved for their extravagant campaigns, including the fake Ed Sheeran stunt. And I was really excited to get the opportunity to ask Sophia just how they do it. So, number one, what is a trick that you think marketeers miss? But I think there's a lot of overthinking, and then that leads to things becoming much more bland than the original idea. Because you like start thinking, oh, someone's going to like, we're going to get sued or something, and which often happens with us. We like have an idea, like, oh, maybe we'll get sued for it, and then sometimes we do actually proceed, and that's a good thing, and then we get a great reaction on social media. Whereas but sometimes we play a bit safe and that's due to overthinking. I think that's so wise. Decision by committee is a really good way to make a decision worse. Yeah. Take a good idea and dilute it into something that's going to have no impact. Yeah, completely. Sometimes I have to advise people on the team, like don't put this on the public marketing group on Slack, put it on our little niche group where there are only three people. And this, otherwise people will just attack it from all angles and come up with something they think is better. Yeah, I'm completely in accord with that. Okay. Question number two, what is the best or coolest bit of marketing you've seen this year? Oh God, there's one like at the top of my mind, but it's not the coolest, but it's what I just keep seeing on LinkedIn. And I think it's really clever. It's that Vision Express advert where it says it's coming home and then it looks like it's just so clever, so concise and really punchy. Um, That's only because it's top of my mind. I'm sure it's great stuff as well. But that's a great example. That's something that's really memorable. It's really topical. So Mm. this episode, we won't come out for a few weeks but when Sophia and I are talking it has just been a big football game that was on the telly recently and I'm such a football novice I don't even know what it was <laughs> I, I don't watch any of it either <laughs> hilarious two clueless women talking about football I don't know they played a big game England beat Germany it was a success that's well, good knowledge that I <laughs> respect for that <laughs> uh, okay, finally what is a brand you wish you worked for I think Tony's Chocolate is awesome. I think they're just such a clever brand. Like everything they do fits with the vision and it makes sense. And I feel like they really, they just live the whole vision. You can understand the culture. Like one of the guys from um, Tony's was on a course, copy club course I did. And he just loved everything about it. And he was completely like, like the packaging made sense next to him. And even his job title was something funny, like Choctopus or something like that. And what they're doing is, for the good of the world as well. So it's every every angle you you assess them from, they're really good, solid brand and they're doing really well. I saw their collab with Brewdog, which I thought was really fun and clever. And everyone seems to love them. Like I never hear anything bad about them either. So um, if I were to work for another brand, that'd probably be the one. I hope Andy's Andy's not listening to this. Exactly. Nicola Matthews, who officially has the coolest job in marketing. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for my answers. If we turn to this story, I'm I'm not going to ask you where it started. Let's go straight into the moment where 
you felt things really change? Was there a breakthrough moment or a breakthrough activation? It wasn't what we were expecting. So I can give a little bit of backstory and we'll go into the boring thing. But when I joined, nothing existed yet. But there was a product and there was there was some packaging, but we hadn't launched. It was several months pre-launch. The only marketing plan was launch. Like Andy would be on his electric scooter riding around our office and Pete would shout out, what's the marketing plan, Andy? And Andy would be like, let's launch. And then we have our Instagram logo quite large on lots of our packaging. And I think lots of brands do that. But we had a funny little phrase underneath, like, you know, follow us if you like or something. And so it was kind of like tongue in cheek and not putting pressure on people too much. And once we launched into supermarket, it must have been about July 2019. And it was in Holland the Barrett. It started going semi-viral on Instagram and everyone started tagging us in their stories. And everyone was doing reviews of the our plant-based bacon. And it just wasn't something we were expecting. And everyone, it was, became the new trend. I guess Little Moons had it on TikTok and they probably be much more successful than we are. But it was our kind of moment like that uh, when it became the cool thing to buy the bacon, try it, put it in maybe a sandwich or whatever and rave about it online. And it was just overwhelmingly positive. And because I'd, you know, we were just a tiny team of four people up until then, I hadn't really seen any other people's reaction to it until that point. So that was, it was unbelievable. Do you think that was down to the creative on the pack or was that the macro trends moving in the right direction? I think it's, yeah, it's not just us. It was several things. One that hasn't really been, I don't want to just dismiss competitors, but there hasn't been a really tasty plant-based bacon. Um, I'm not saying ours is perfect. We're still working on it, but it did, you know, it did kind of break through some new boundaries in the plant-based bacon world. And so there was that. Then there was a, the other factors that we've been building our Instagram community pre-launch and showing behind the scenes. And we had, okay, it was several thousand people, maybe a 10,000 followers at that point, but they were hyper engaged and they were felt like they were on the journey with us. Andy show all the kind of nitty gritty behind the scenes. He'd be show up a pack as soon as we received it from the printers. And he had like a massive stain down his shirt, but it didn't matter. This was like the reality of startup life. And so I think they felt like they were on the journey and then they were compelled to buy it and then continue that experience. So that definitely helped it. And then I think just, just the industry itself was, is growing massively. And bacon is the number one reason why meat eaters don't cut down on meat because it's just so delicious. So the fact that there was something that was almost as good or as good whatever wherever you sit as real bacon it became like a, a semi it sounds it sound arrogant but yeah I guess it's like setting a new level within the plant-based industry and that's why people wanted to try it yeah your brand is clearly being fueled by the right product at the right moment and the definitely and Instagram like interesting you talk about both the fact that you hit Instagram in the right way at the right time and then the content really resonated what else has really worked for you? You actually, in that document you sent, you mentioned it, but the stunts have worked really well. So I can kind of talk through a few of them, but when we launched, one of the first things, I don't even know we had launched that point yet, but we decided to invite all our trolls into the office to try the products. And up until then, you know, these are probably meat eaters or keyboard warriors who would see the chicken, see it look really chickeny and it was plant-based and they put like, vom emojis or like really disparaging comments and then that was the first thing I did when I was in I when I joined and it's like let's invite them in to try it and the whole point so that was quite subversive and I think it's that subversiveness that runs through our stunts 
that has worked really well because our aim is brand awareness and we want to get press and we don't have that much budget. What can we do? Well, we, we can do a stunt that's going to make some noise, quite not necessarily controversial, but it's playing with people's expectations, um, both in terms of product and also the fact that we're actually filming their reaction and we're actually inviting our trolls in. So the whole concept is subversive and then we get, we got press for that. And that's worked really well. And we've done that several times with our varying stunts. So let's talk through these stunts. <laughs> Does the story always go, Andy says, hey, I've got an idea? Not always, no. I mean, I, yeah, he, Andy is a great mind. He's super, like, in another life, he'd probably be working in an advertising agency, Ogilvy or whatever, because he's, he's a maverick iconoclastic which you probably notice that runs through the brand as well yeah he has quite wacky ideas but it's not just coming from him I think it comes from other people in the team I mean, it's a very small team still but I'll, I'll have an idea or contribute to it and the I you know the video will be born from several things merging together so for the um the Ed Sheeran one ideas come from different sides and I the backgrounds of everyone in the market team are quite different we've got people from the drinks industry or I had a consulting background and Lauren who does social media used to work in restaurants in the food industry so everyone comes with a different perspective and she's also a comedian which also helps <laughs> that definitely helps so you have the idea to the point you made at the start of this does that idea remain pretty raw how much does that idea get shaped before it gets to what we see quite often it, it will do I mean I don't want, we're not definitely not perfect so sometimes this is a story of how I'll, I'll reply actually to the question after but sometimes it's it's an idea and it's not fully formed and then in the edit we have to go back and think what was the point of that video like how do we summarize this in one sentence but if we're working well and streamlined we'll think what are the objectives is this PR worthy does it have viral potential Mm. and does it represent our brand? Does it have a subversion and humor that we try and run through everything? And then that's how we try and filter it. And we try to do it more and more, but I mean, we're still sometimes like reverse engineer it. Like several other videos have ended up that way. And that's a fantastic tip. There's something really actionable in what you've just said, which is yeah. you start with the headline and you create backwards. And I don't think that's how people think. A great idea is very different to a great headline. Totally, completely. And then you have to combine, like, align the two. And that's, and sometimes things are moving so quickly, like in lots of startups, ours included, you don't even have time to refine it and really shape the headline. You're just going and you need to get it out because we try and do a video every three months. And sometimes that's not even enough time or the, you know, things, things always take longer than they should do. So it's very good in theory, but in practice, the, the reality is slightly different. And let's deep dive into get it out. And you, you used some language earlier where you said like, and then it just happens. <laughs> As though like press, like press um, kind of upload and then the internet goes wild. And I know that's not what happens. What, what, what do you really do behind the scenes to make this content? We do try and involve a PR person. We've you know, we, we're using agency at the moment, but we're trying to bring it in-house. So we try and involve them in some of the process so that they know early on what that headline might be. Um, and then they can help shape the video if necessary or you know, give some ideas so that we can make it more PRable. Then 
I'm not saying this you know, works all the time. Sometimes it might not be PRable, but with the ones that do, do work, then the edit is definitely a complicated process. Andy kind of sits as creative director on the team and has a very strong vision. So there is a lot of back and forth. It's usually more than two um, rounds of editing amendments. So it takes a while. Um, and sometimes we're like, oh, we'll do we'll budget for we'll put in two weeks worth of time to go back and forth. It will take a month. The influencer one took several months uh, of back and forth. And sometimes they end up too long. So we try and always get them down to two to three minutes because people's attention span, as everyone knows, yeah. isn't that great. And it's just getting shorter. Yeah. And then in terms of PR, as I mentioned, we work with, sometimes we work with freelancers, sometimes an agency, um, and then we'll try and release it as an exclusive with someone so for one of our first ones where we tricked a bunch of influencers into thinking they would be served like a, a mission star dinner featuring our products um it was a mission star chef but obviously our products were uh, basically thought they were real meat um we had a pass we kind of positioned a member of the press in the prank so they were being tricked as well which then obviously helped us get press so we had a woman from the mirror and obviously the mirror released it as an exclusive and that was pre-arranged or that was a prank on her too? Oh, we pranked her too, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> because it secures the coverage. And yeah. are you thinking about other touch points? Like outside um, of press, what's happening on your social feeds? What else is in your marketing mix at that stage? So the aim is always to try and create something that could become viral. I mean, that's slightly subjective, but we want to make shareable content that makes people laugh, that they want, you know, something that people forward on, on their WhatsApp or tag people in. So yeah, we'll create an edit for largely Instagram. So in terms of our, the way our social works, we're primary one is Instagram for us. I'm very keen to move into TikTok a little bit more, but um, yeah, Instagram is where we have our followers and they're pretty loyal, which is fantastic. So that's always the focus to create some like punchy stories and, a strong video what's gone wrong for you and what can you learn from it oh that's a very good question (laughs) I'm trying to think of specific examples but every time I think of one the root cause is always the same and I think probably several other people working in startups will sympathize it's a race against time and Mm. sometimes it's kind of losing battle so even in terms of product releases like I don't want to go into too many specifics, but it, it becomes the problems occur when there just isn't enough time. That's a fantastic answer. It's kind of like one of those answers you give in a job interview when someone's like, what are your weaknesses? <laughs> You're like, my weaknesses is attention to detail. Uh, like, but I, I get, I'm not being, I'm not being dismissive about it. Yeah. Right. I think you're telling the truth. Are there opportunities that you think with hindsight you've missed? Definitely. In our company specifically, one of our main pillars of growth is innovation. And we are so focused on that, that sometimes it's to the detriment of other things. So I think because we're trying to come up with new, like do market research into what new products should we make, like all the design elements and that kind of thing, that we're, we're also the size as well. So there's like a time element, we're focused on innovation first and foremost, then we're still really tiny and we're not you know, there are only five people in the marketing team at the moment and everyone has is kind of bursting because <laughs> they're at capacity. So that's another problem I think we face. There's something interesting in that, which is you, in order to create the hype, your brand needs to take an incredibly recessive role because 
press headlines are not typically written about brand. Like yeah. the headline's going to be, this isn't actually chicken. It's not going to be, this particular brand did this thing. Like that's a much less sexy story. And so you have to get very comfortable with you not being a big part of that narrative. But to know when to switch that back on so that you don't miss, you know, as you say, so you, there's, a, there's a potential opportunity to build brand in a way that, that you didn't realise. Yeah, that's so um, wise. Oh, again, with all of these things. Who knows? Um, well, you talked about pace and the speed at which you work as a business and the workload of everyone in the team. If we move away from the marketing work and talk about you as an individual and your role in the team, yeah. how do you manage that pace? It's definitely difficult. Also, I guess it's one of those situations where, you know, the boiling frog, I think it's a metaphor where you put the frog yeah. in the water and then just slowly turn the temperature up and then it's, yeah. it's burning they didn't really notice and that's how it's been I think with me because I started off and everything was when you know when there were four people in the team you know there was stuff to do but there wasn't we hadn't really launched and then we launched into a card in Holland Barrett and it wasn't as much stuff and now we're in all like the big four and big four supermarkets and loads of restaurants and everything's really picked up and even going into lockdown we were in a team of eight people now we're 40 people which has been insane. So the compasses of well, my role has grown with that, uh, with the rest of the team. And how do I deal with it? I guess it's segmenting things into different parts of my role. And even that's slightly difficult to do because I think when you join a company, you become the glue. So your role isn't as distinct as people who might be joining um, like two years down the line when their role's been carved out they know exactly what they're doing and mm-hmm. they have a job description I joined I didn't even have a job description so I've had mm-hmm. to create my own kind of buckets and within those try and keep a list every day and just prioritize but they're always things that I never get you know that never happen or they get delayed by three weeks unfortunately and I say a second thing as well is delegation which is kind of an obvious answer but it yeah, I'm very grateful that now that I'm, I have two people who work with me and that I can trust and give, you know, pass things on to, to help with. So I think trust is also a really key thing. And that I think that works well in our company. Like there's a lot of trust, especially because we're all working from home and I haven't even met people that I'm working with. You have to trust, delegate, and also make sure stay structured. But I am by no means perfect. Like there are definitely things that are, like to the wire in terms of timing. And and also that's another thing, like just not getting too stressed, uh, which I'm sure that you've, mm. I mean, you've seen people um, in startups before and there's mm. always something last minute and that needs to happen in half an hour or even like two days ago. And you have to, you have to just be really cool about it and just get it done. That's phenomenal. Your three tips on how to not feel like a frog being boiled alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So there you go. Those are Sophia's three top tips on how not to be boiled alive. One, delegate. Two, trust those around you. And three, try and have structure, even when it all feels like it's going awry. I think that's that's spot on. I'd love to hear you talk about what working for a founder is like. Oh, this is such a good question. And at one point, at some point in my life, I think I'm going to write this kind of manual. Um, <laughs> yes, well, definitely write a manual. <laughs> oh my god, we'll definitely have to do that with you. A coffee club and Sophia manual on how to yeah. write founders. <laughs> because I've I've only ever worked like directly for founders. I have a lot of experience of the, I don't know if I ever listened to this, but like you know how yeah how to manage a founder, and I think that is the situation you are kind of managing them. 
because as you said they are a sort of different type of person and brilliant in some ways so I would say like a few different tips one is you have to kind of be intuitive so one you have to understand their vision what are they trying to create why are they trying to create it and what's what's driving them and then beyond that even like really basic things like what do they and don't they like and once you kind of learn take maybe takes a few months to learn that or maybe even a year but then you can kind of guess and then you can estimate their mood as well so so one is being intuitive another is kind of combined with it is being sensitive to their vision because Mm. ultimately I I don't think you completely own the marketing function when you're your head of marketing or even whatever role you are within the marketing team in a founder-led business you kind of are just babysitting it because ultimately it's not your vision it's theirs and you have to stay sensitive to that doesn't mean you can't push back but you have to understand what they're trying to create and work be aligned with that I think I mentioned yeah just going back to the previous one, uh, being sensitive is, is being able to tell their mood, which is probably a weird thing because it's not necessarily a practical piece of advice with how do you notice that? But I think you, when you start becoming tuned into what their personality is and what they do and don't like, then you can tell if they're in a more practical space or a more creative space. And I try and do that or work that out with Andy, for example, because Andy is the marketing guy in the, this team. And sometimes he has so much on that he's not going to be as creative as he possibly can be, or he won't be as positive in his response or open to ideas. Um, whereas sometimes it's, yeah, he's like open to everything and has like such brilliant ideas and I re- you really tap into that. So I think that's a yeah key thing to be able to do. Another thing is like knowing when to push back as well, mm. because you don't want to be just bulldozed over by a founder if they have a vision because sometimes they're not always right and no one's always right but it's like pushing back with reason with evidence and kind of a supporting argument and why that will be beneficial for the the company you can't just mm. push back with no no support because I think that that probably won't get through to them or that's what I found anyway and do you find that the kind of support and evidence you need differs depending on who that founder is Definitely, definitely. And also it depends on the situation as well. Yeah. So sometimes it might be some more more granular facts to support a decision that you might make in marketing or some kind of expenditure that you want to make. Sometimes it's more of a, you know, it's a design decision. You're not going to be able to back that up with facts, but you have to have some reason why. Or like, I guess it might relate to trends or even just your intuition, but being able to explain clearly and concisely why is key. And actually, that's the last point as well is concision, which I probably haven't been that concise in this answer, which is a bit ironic. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, founders are so limited in time that you have to get the message across really clearly, crisply and without any faff or embroidering of, of what's actually happening because they don't have time for it and they'll lose attention immediately. So that's that's definitely key. <laughs> I couldn't agree with that more. 
I think it's about understanding the, you know, I'm just thinking about myself as a founder and other founders I've worked with. So I'm now wearing this, like, I now come at this question with two hats. <laughs> yeah. For a long time in my career, I worked into founders and now I have a team working into me and I'm so pained by how difficult I've made it for people. Well, how difficult I found it in the past. I'm so conscious of it. Yeah. What that experience is like. But I think it's really important to understand what evidence your founder cares about for a particular in a particular context. So it might be that mm. they really value the opinion of some specific stakeholders or they need they need data. And on this instance, they're not going to take anything other than data or they need validation from someone else within the business. What is it that they need to, to feel comfortable? And I think your point on being concise is, is fantastic. But I think even, I think for a lot of founders would be delighted, let alone it being concise, if it was just a very clear recommendation I think what's so difficult mm. is when things remain 70% worked and 30% a question. Because yeah. to what you've said, I now realize what it's like to not have bandwidth to engage brain. So yeah. if it's not, this is what I think should happen and why, it's like the migraine-inducing sensation of, God, you're expecting me to try and process this and then work out what I need to do about it is so overwhelming. So I was trained back at PNG to always have a recommendation. I think that's mm. probably the best piece of advice I was given in my career. Doesn't matter if it's wrong. Ultimately, it's so much easier to say, "Great recommendation." I actually disagree with you because I think we yeah. can interpret this data point differently. That's such an easier conversation than, "Oh, what?" Yeah, <laughs> which is completely like otherwise. And I also think it makes them respect you more if you like, mm. if you have an opinion. Totally. And they don't care if it's not, you know, no one, there's no right answer. So no mm-hmm. one's going to, I can't speak for everyone, but most of the time, no one minds if it's wrong. So long as when they challenge you, you're open-minded to seeing things differently. You know, we're all just trying to interpret the data points we've got to get to a particular outcome. Yeah. Completely uh, agree. Final question. Where do you get inspiration from? Well, our, our brand relies a lot on humor and well not relies is probably not the right word but we like to have a lot of humor and view everything we do with a sense of fun and subversiveness and not like slapstick humor but something that will make people I guess laugh but it's not um farcical um some of the, the places that I I'm very aligned with Andy on this like we like like Ali G Sasha Baron Cohen um for the that kind of all that humor runs through the company I think and the tone of voice and the stunts and the content uh, we put out. Um, and then in terms of other comedy, I'm not really into comedy, but um, there are, I think it's a good source of inspiration. Andy and I both like Curb Your Enthusiasm and it has like a dry wit, which we both mm. like. And then um, moving on from that, like staying abreast of TikTok and YouTube, I think are really key um, and different trends there. Um, so um, I also am a big fan of Josh Peters and Archie Manners because um, they do some great stunts and they always get in the press with them and they're really clever and well thought out. That's kind of one section. Another would be popular culture, which is, I, I sometimes excuse my my um, addiction to like Daily Mail and blind gossip with this, but I think it's interesting to understand, like, to understand humanity and one of my favorite programs is Drag Race. And yes, I enjoy it for what it is. And it's just so, so much fun. But I think there are elements of it that should be woven into brands and the marketing function. I think 
part of marketing is understanding why or how human behavior and there is so much humanity and humor and inclusivity in drag race that that's kind of important for brands too especially mm. for ours because we're all about subversion and drag is an art form and it is subversive mm. and very funny so um that's another point of inspiration I guess the third one is a little bit more abstract but and it's definitely been harder to do because of lockdown or we've been trapped in our homes and you know stuck on our computer screens and talking to people through zoom but it is surrounding yourself with exciting minds and people have worked in different areas and I'm very very fortunate that our team has built with such exciting lively um spirited people um and especially the marketing team like Andy is hilarious Lauren who runs our um, social media is hilarious like everyone's really fun so you can draw on inspiration from that Sophia what an answer you've just said you're inspired by comedy you're inspired by trends on TikTok and YouTube the Daily Mail and, and understanding humanity through popular culture, which I think is like, yes, I'm such a big wake up call to me who is in a cultural black hole and, and doesn't know who played football. <laughs> um, and I think those things are so true and they're so important. If someone is listening to this and is thinking, what is the TikTok and where do I start? Um, do you have any top tips on how to get under the skin of TikTok and YouTube fast? Oh gosh, TikTok and question might be like, where do you stop? <laughs> Once you start, you just can't stop. Like I, yeah, I've it, had to. It is like it. internet crack. Yeah, it's it's mm. a magical um, black hole where humans never return again. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's highly addictive. What I do on TikTok is, well, the algorithm is just so clever. So you can start searching things that you're interested in whether it's food or restaurants and then you'll suddenly get loads of videos related to that and if you just play them for the full 15 seconds then your content is immediately filtered to that mm. um it's just when you when you start watching one dodgy video and then you go down that whole path because it starts throwing more <laughs> out, come, out of you come up for air yeah. yeah there's some very weird corners of it but yeah i just start by searching a few things you're interested in and then it will automatically tailor that to you it's it's quite a weird place to be but it's like, lots of people don't have that great attention span and also strap for time so it's that's the ultimate place for the people like that you can watch four videos in a minute and youtube youtube's a, like a different one i it depends what you're into but i do like i said before josh peters and archie manners for their stunts and other people who those are the, i don't watch as much but i do try and stay abreast of what different influences are doing it depends what you want to get out of it, but I'm very interested in that world. Mm. So even if I don't agree with what they're doing or what they're saying, um, and it might seem like absolute rubbish, it's quite a good way to unwind. So I, um, this might be embarrassing to admit, but I look at Olivia Neal or I look at Saffron Barker because that's what people are into and they're, they kind of are saleswomen in a way and kind of marketers mm. as well. What else? I'm, I'm in another one. <laughs> other youtubers is quite random but I do really like um I like cooking shows as well mm. and even if you're not into cooking I think there is something about you can learn about how to edit a video from them because mm. how do people keep people engaged when you're just like stirring some great mush you yeah. have to be able to it has to be very well structured and very well edited and I think that's something you can take out even if you don't enjoy the cooking element but I do mm. I think there's an interesting undertone in what you're saying and the way you're talking about this, which is that, which we all share, which is a sense that 
spending time watching YouTube or reading the Daily Mail is a guilty pleasure and it's perhaps not kind of worthy of our time but I think I think we I think we have a real duty to like cut that story like this is what people the like incredibly important people who buy our products who give us our jobs do not as a guilty pleasure because that's what they do and why should why why is there this cloud of embarrassment around it we might not agree with the politics or we might think that it's like better to be reading some great work of art but but in reality that's that is contemporary leisure and I think what I'm really hearing from you is that that stuff is important because it helps us understand our customers I mean, yeah. I still like I, I still justify it by watching my YouTube videos on two times speed. But I shouldn't feel guilty. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. It's modern day leisure. Like, yeah, people used to go to a boating lake, and now we watch YouTube, and that's just reality. Yeah, especially like, during think, lockdown, like when it wasn't. Yeah, anything. and I think otherwise we're going to end up in this like FMCG bubble where we all talk to each other about what we're saying on LinkedIn, which, like, let's be clear, is really not what the world is seeing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a million miles away from what's actually going to move the needle and sales of our products. Yeah. Sophia, <laughs> that was such a joy. Thank you so much. So much fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, fun, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. I worry about what I've said now. I'm going to be thinking about no, it. No, you've not day, said anything. Thank you cool. so much. Lovely to meet oh, you as well. Love. Yeah, and you. So nice to finally meet. We'll speak soon, I am sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this chat, please help us out by spreading the word. Post on LinkedIn, follow when you're hearing so you can stay tuned with further episodes and check us out at thecopyclub.co.uk. There's so much more insight, advice and archive content there. Next week... We chat to Paul Brown, founder of Bowl, the company making ready meals that are actually healthy. Paul made a huge decision a few years ago to stop producing meat, resulting in 2 million revenue straight out of his forecast, and then turned it around. I got the opportunity to spend an hour grilling him on exactly how he did it.